Yeah, hey, good morning, everybody. Again, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Congratulations to the graduates that we have here. Um, yeah, let's give a hand for, for them, too. It's exciting. Good to have a few um, visiting families here this, today, too. We've got a very different group, obviously. We've got kind of the summer dispersion happening. And so we're, we're heading into the summer, which I actually am, am very excited about, about what God's doing here. But it's, it's a different change of pace. And um, it's a good chance for us to, to come together and see God do some really unique things in our own personal lives and in the community. So today, the message is going to be a little different than normal. Um, if I, we're going to be looking at, and don't, uh, yeah, don't show the next slide yet, Emma. I'm going to do a little pop quiz here. We're going to be looking at, we're going to read through a, a short but important psalm from the Bible. And if I was to ask you, which I am asking you, actually, so what, here's the question, what is the most important psalm in the whole Bible? It's okay if you don't know any, anything about the Bible or the Psalms, but throw out, like, what, what comes to mind? Psalm 1, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a very famous one, blessed the one who's abiding uh, in God's word, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, that's a good one. Not the one we're looking for, though. Psalm 23, yes, I mean, there we go. That's like the most beloved psalm, probably the most beloved chapter in the whole Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful psalm. 100. Psalm 100, what's that all about? Make a joyful noise. A joyful noise. Yeah, it's a good, good psalm. Good. But I'm going to tell you, it's not the, I'm going to make a case that it's not the most important. <laughs> Although, that's good. So... Any other guesses? 119. 119, that's a good one too. It's the longest one. And again, all about the value of God's word. Um, but not what we're talking about today. This one's only seven verses, not, 100 and, not 176 verses like Psalm 119. So you win with that, I guess. So, but we're going to look at Psalm 110. Oh, yeah, now that's a safe to say. Yeah, I know that. I know that ploy. I've done that myself. So Psalm 110. Um, and you may be like, this is not as well known of a psalm. But the reason I'm saying it's the most important is because this is the chapter of the Old Testament that is referenced by far the most in the New Testament. This is a... a a high-level picture of God's purpose that David wrote. It's really a very high-level prophecy that he's, he saw into the heavens and saw what was happening with God and with God's purposes in history. And he, he saw this prophetically and he wrote it down. And this is the psalm that was referenced over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. It's actually referenced 33 times in the New Testament. And it even inspired, Jesus talks about it. Um, he, there are whole chapters, basically. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection is really like an outworking of this chapter. Hebrews 7 about Jesus being a high priest like Melchizedek. And much of Hebrews is really an outworking of this chapter. And so I just think it's, we're going to talk about it today because it's really important for us to know this. For me, like digging into this, really getting an understanding of this psalm changed my way of thinking. 
and helped me to come into God's purpose in a very powerful way. And I, I think it's something that every Christian should, should have drilled into our minds and something that we marinate on and meditate on to see more clearly what God's purposes are. I think this is likely, we, we read in the New Testament, that in the time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension when he went to heaven, that he was opening up the scriptures to his disciples and explaining to them how he was fulfilling all the promises about the Messiah and the kingdom of God coming into the world. And I think it's very likely that he was like, okay, remember this Psalm 110? Let me walk you through it. And because, again, that's what the apostles write about a lot in the rest of the New Testament, because um, it really does encapsulate this. So we're just going to walk through it this morning and um, look at some, some takeaways and applications for us. Um, but I just want to encourage you to, to open up, to we're going to pray together for just a second and just ask God to just give you greater understanding and both mentally but also to, to, to bring a yes in your heart to be part of what God is doing. So if that's your prayer, just, just pray with me right now. Lord, you're the one who reveals your word and these are, these are deep mysteries, Lord. They're beyond just us being able to grasp them with our natural minds, or our, or our casual uh, perusal. So that, Lord, would you help us, and would you help us to see the high calling you've given us, and who you are more clearly. We trust this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 110, verse 1, starts out, says, The Lord says to my Lord, Got two lords in the same first phrase. I should catch your attention. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus asked people about this, this psalm, and he said, hey, who is David talking about? Who is the Lord? Whose son is the Lord here? Because it says, the Lord says to my Lord, there are two lords here. How, how can that be? And what we have here is a picture of two of the three members of the Trinity. The Father and the Son having a conversation. And so David sees this prophetically. And it says, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Um, we see, I, this, is, this is pretty wild to think. Like if you, like it's controversial to say you hear God, but if you like claim to like overhear this conversation between the Trinity, that would be like, wow. That's, it shouldn't be controversial to say you hear God, I'll just be clear. Like we think it should be normal for a Christian to hear God. But this is high level. Like David is seeing that the Father is saying to Jesus, the Son, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is a picture, and it's, it's clear in the rest of the New Testament as this is extrapolated, that this is a picture of what happened after Jesus' life and his death, where he died for our sins and defeated the devil, his, his resurrection victory, and then he was on the earth for 40 days. And then he ascended back 
to the Father. He ascended up to heaven. And this was the moment at which this conversation takes place. The Lord says to my Lord, hey, all right, your work is done. It is finished, like you said. It is done. Now sit down at my right hand. The right hand is the place of honor and authority in a kingdom. And so our first um, takeaway here is just that um, Jesus is reigning now. Jesus is on his throne. He is reigning now. I know it doesn't always look like that. I know, you know we're, we're going to go to Eisenhower Middle School this summer, and we're, gonna, we're going there because there is a need, and Eisenhower is probably one of the, the schools in Manhattan with the biggest area of needs. Jesse's been working there all year, um, volunteering and talking and connecting with the students and the teachers, and I was with him on Friday for a couple hours, meeting some of the teachers. That was really fun. Um, yeah, and I'm not nearly as cool in the hallways as Jesse, fist bumping and knowing everybody. I'm just kind of like, hey, this feels like middle school all over again. Let's, <laughs> this is good. But we, we talked to one teacher who'd been there for, she didn't want to say how many years, but I think 25, 30 plus years. Um, but loves these kids. She works with kids with special needs and behavioral issues. And I asked her, I was like, hey, how have things changed since you started? And she said, well, when I started here, she's been at the same school the whole time. Well, since it started, she was at the ninth grade center before Eisenhower even opened um, for a couple of years. But she said, there would be like two kids in the school that had serious trauma in their family, in their life. Now there are 150. There's the schools full of kids whose parents are in prison, where there's abuse, where there's homelessness, where there's serious trauma going on. And, and I'm, I'm in the classroom, and I'm like, these kids got issues. <laughs> these kids got issues. I mean, I just, as a dad, I just like want to like get involved in their life right now. <laughs> like, it's like, but it's like, wow, there is such a need. It, it doesn't, there's so much in the world, it doesn't feel like Jesus is on his throne reigning. It's easy to see the problems in the world and go like, wow, like who is really ruling things? But it's essential for us to know this, that Jesus has defeated the devil. He is reigning. He is in the place of honor and authority. Um, so he is, he is, he is there. Um, so that begs the question, right? Well, why has it gone from 2 to 150 in 20 years? If Jesus is reigning, like, why are we seeing so much negative stuff in our, in our culture? And we're getting there. So verse 2, it says, The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Jesus' rule is not waiting until there are no more enemies, but he's ruling in the midst of his enemies. And I just want to like break down this verse a little bit, because a lot of people are thinking, okay, so... Let's go back to the first verse. The Father says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So if Jesus is seated on his throne until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet, what is he not doing until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet? There are a lot of things we could say. 
But he is not coming back until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He is seated until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. A lot of us are just thinking, we have a bad theology that it's, hey, the world, like, what's, the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and eventually Jesus is going to, like, he's going he's gonna to rescue us. He's going he's to get off his throne, he's going to come down and come back and clean house and make everything right. And that is not a full picture of God's plan. The Father says to the Son, hey, you stay seated until my enemies are made a footstool for your feet. So, and then it says, extend. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. So there's this picture of the king from his throne, extending his scepter, the rod of authority, and saying, hey, and the rule, it's a picture of God's rule and reign coming into the earth. So, it's important to figure out, like, what, how does that happen? How does God's rule and reign come into the earth while Jesus is still on his throne? Well, the second thing we've got to understand is that God is extending his rule and reign through people like you. Uh-oh. I thought God was smart. Like, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? But that is what he's doing. Zion is the, it's the mountain that the temple was on. It's the place in the Old Testament where heaven and earth came together, where God's presence came into the earth. And in the New Testament, the New Covenant, we're told that we, the people of God, where God's spirit, in the old, in the old temple, the spirit of God, the presence of God came to the temple. But in the New Testament, the spirit and presence of God comes to every believer. We are the temple of God. We are the place where heaven and earth come together, where God's presence enters a time-space world, where God's presence comes to the world and is intended to change the world around it. The Lord will extend his scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. I was reading, um, there, there's a, a pastor from 100 years ago, McLaren. There's an incredible preacher, and he, there's a book called McLaren's Expositions, and he was writing about this passage. And he says this, I'm just going to, the quote's up there. It strikes one as remarkable that this description of the subjects of the priest king, Jesus, should be thus embedded in the very heart of the grand portraiture of the monarch himself. Okay, it's a lot of, we don't talk like that, but basically it's, there's this joining of the king and his subjects. There is, as we read this psalm, it's sometimes hard to tell, like, what's about the Messiah and what's about his people? It's, it's so, you can't separate Jesus from his body. You can't separate Jesus from his bride. Like, we're, it's together, and, and his body and his bride, his people, we are who is on planet Earth. And so, it's embedded in this, this grand portrait. It is the anticipation of the profound New Testament thought of the unity of Christ and his church. By simple faith, a union is brought about so close and intimate that all his is theirs. Wow. All his is theirs. And the picture of his glory is incomplete without the vision of 
he's quoting, um, first, uh, he's quoting Ephesians here. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Wow, what's filling all in all? What's filling the world? Jesus' fullness through the church. That's how he fills all in all. Therefore, between the word of God, which elevates him, the Messiah, to his right hand, and the oath of God, which consecrates him a priest forever, is this description of the army of the king. So, we're, we're looking at this. this it's, yes, he's extending his, his scepter into the earth. He's extending his scepter. He wants to extend his scepter into Eisenhower Middle School, and into your family, and into your emotions, and into your relationships, and into your workplace, and into your mothering, and your fathering, and Every broken place, every place of incredible need, God is, Jesus is reigning and determined to extend his reign into the world through his people. So, that, that is, that's awesome. But it's also like, again, like, God, what were you thinking? Right? Like, you, you know people, right? Like, you know what we're like. You know how, how we're doing. But the starting point is, if we, we have to know our calling to carry it out. If we believe a philosophy of life that we're just, we're just supposed to be weak and futile and just humble and just acknowledging our inability to do anything and somehow that honors God, then we will not accomplish anything. But if we believe the high calling God has given us, and that's the beginning of stepping into it. There, I uh, heard a man once who led a movement that planted churches, planted churches in nations all over the world, hundreds of churches. And he said, what do you need to reach a nation? What do you need to see a nation transformed? You need one leader. You need one leader. If I have one leader and I can drop him into a broken nation, a pagan nation, that can begin the process of transformation in that nation. And we've seen that all throughout history. We've seen Patrick did that in Ireland. We saw Paul did that in the whole known world. We see one person who sees their calling and embarks on this process of transformation, brings that transformation to the, the world around them. But that doesn't just happen. And that's why stuff like our, our wonderful summer step up, it's not just like, hey, let's do this because it's kind of cool and neat and like we're trying to you know, feel good about ourselves, like we have more people in Bible studies. But it's like, no, there are essential truths that everybody needs to know to be a disciple who influences the world around them. And those are the truths that, are, that, are in, that we have in these, these four manuals that we are trying to help people live and walk out and then pass on to others. And so we are... We are just, uh, we're committed to like this process of like, hey, we're calling people to this process of transformation so that we can be part of the scepter that's bringing God's kingdom into the world. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, he is extending his rule through people like you. Man, I, that sort of changes it, right? Because every like problem in our life, every like problem in the world around us, that changes our response. It's, it's natural to, to be overwhelmed by the problems around us. It's natural to be overwhelmed by the people around us. 
the impossible situations, whether it's a health situation or a financial situation or a people situation or all the brokenness. But when we realize, oh, wait, God, you want me to do something about that. All right, you have, you have put yourself in me to bring change. Then, okay, time to ante up. Time to, okay, I do need you, God. What do I need to do to be part of this process? He's extending his role through people like you. Verse 3. i got to love this. And this is what the Father says. He says to the Son, your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power in holy splendor from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. Man, that's, that's what God's people do. There's something when God gets a hold of a person, there's something in us that says, hey, sign me up. What can I do? When I was growing up, there was a kid in my school who was from Tennessee, which is the volunteer state. And he was passionate about Tennessee. And whenever the teacher would say, can I have a volunteer? He would stand up and raise his hand and say, I'm a volunteer. I'm a volunteer. So he just loved it. We're the Tennessee volunteers, baby. And I mean, the guy ended up, he volunteered for the army. I mean, he, this is like, he was, that was, he was that kind of guy. Um, but there's that, like that sort of attitude, like when God gets a hold of us to, to be like, man, I want to volunteer my life freely in the day of your power. That word power, it, it's, it can be translated, it's like, it can be, sometimes it's translated army, the day of your forces. God's raising up an army here. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of God's draft, the day of God's forces being, sending out the call for volunteers. Um, in holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. And this is actually a hard verse to translate. If you look at different versions, it translates it kind of differently. But I think this NAS is a really good, as good a job as any. It's this picture of um, this, the youth of people, it's like dew spread out on the ground all over the place. And there's just something, like it just shows up. It's like something has gotten upon that ground from somewhere else. And there's a life, there's a refreshing, there's a vitality that has come. And that's this, this volunteer spirit that, that comes upon people, the life of God. Um, the following God, it's, it's all about a willingness from the heart. It's all about a, a, a willingness. There's no, it's not, like, it's not like the Ukraine war right now. There's no, there's no Wagner group in, there's no, which if you don't know, the, you know, the Wagner group is the mercenaries that the Russians are, are hiring to, to help fight this war. But a lot of times that's what it, it can, it, we think it's like, like, oh, we gotta like compel people to be in this thing. But no, it's, it's God getting a hold of our hearts and something in our hearts saying, yes, I gotta be part of this. I wanna volunteer in the day of his power. Um, yeah, that's good. So what's, our uh, third takeaway is respond willingly and expect others to also. Respond willingly and expect others to also. You know, there's something about this. Jesus is extending his scepter. He is, 
I'm tired of all the like bad reports about like, well, the church is like it's a post-Christian world now. The Christianity had its era, but now it's over, and churches are just going to decline. That's just the way things are. That's not understanding that Jesus is extending his scepter. And as that goes out, there are people that respond. I tell you, everywhere I've seen like the gospel of King Jesus proclaimed to people, there are people who respond. There are people that are responsive. I think about the moms today and the parenting, and it doesn't feel that way so often. It's like, man, where are my kids? Like, you know, I've talked to parents this week about the challenges and the issues, and from toddlers to teenagers to beyond. And it's like, oh my goodness, like, there's, it, it can seem, and I've, I've got five kids, but I've been, like, oftentimes not seeing the response. But I'll tell you, like, you, you act in faith, and you speak with the authority God's giving you, and there will be a result. You know, I, I'm not, there, there is, like, there will be people who respond. Like, by the grace of God, I've got five kids, and they've gone through different stuff, but, man, they're all responding to King Jesus right now. Man, there's, because there is a thing that when the gospel goes out, the message of King Jesus goes out, like, people are born for that. They're waiting for that. And especially the youth. Especially the youth. There is an openness and a readiness and a responsiveness that is there. Um, that is, that is, is very valuable, very opportune. Um, so expect others to also. Um, all right. could say a lot more about that. But that's good. Um, I'll just say this, that this is true in, like, every, every occupation and calling. Too. We talk about this a lot, but it's not, it is the church planters, but it's also the moms. It's, it's, also, it's those who work in nonprofits, and it's also the business people. It's in every area, God calls us to be fully volunteered in his army, but seeing, God, how can I help extend your scepter in this sphere, in this place where you've called me? What's the place where, what's my passion? What's the world? What's my workplace? Where am I? God, okay. God, that's, I want to respond to say yes to being part of your scepter and seeing others respond to that too. Right, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot we could say there. As I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 7 goes into that whole thing, but Melchizedek is just this picture of Jesus as a kind of priest. He's a king, but he's also a priest. He brings those things together. And it's not of natural origin, but it's of divine origin. He's the one who, he's the king in power, but he's, he, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who comes to, to reconcile people to God and to, to bring us, to deal with the issues and where there's healing needed, where, there's, uh, where he needs to wrap up the wounds. Whatever needs to be done, Jesus is the one who comes in that place. In verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men or the head over a broad country. Okay, it's got a little, little intense there. Corpses, shattering, chiefs. It's like this. Jesus is reigning, and you can go easy or you can go hard. You can volunteer readily, 
or you can be crushed eventually. But he will reign. He is reigning. And his reign is going to come to your life, one way or the other. And the same, you know, so that's, you know, at some point, every knee is going to bow. Every time is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, a lot of us, millions and millions of people, it's going to be a joyful, worshipful, yes, you are Lord. But there are going to be plenty of others where he, he resisted and where there's a crushing of them. And, and really, I believe this is speaking to the, the spiritual forces also. And that the chief men, literally it's a singular, the head. And I think it's speaking to the devil and his, his legions that are in resistance to God's kingdom. They say, hey, Jesus, ultimately this is fulfilled spiritually. That the, the kingship of King Jesus will defeat every power, every principality, every force of darkness. But this is good to know when you're trying to make a difference in your little sphere, in my little sphere. And you've got an impossible situation. You got a toddler that just like isn't getting it, or he's getting it. <laughs> he's he's getting exactly what he wants and doesn't want to change, or whatever the situation. But but to know, like, no, you know what? That thing, that resistance, that pride, that selfishness, that thing's got to bow. That thing does not have authority. Jesus is reigning over that. And to learn to like walk in his grace and authority to bring change. But to come from a place of, you know what? I don't have to be intimidated. But I got something more powerful. I'm, I'm with the King of Kings. All right. So that, every, every battle is a chance for more victory. Look at the battles of our life. It's like, oh, why is this battle happening? It's like, well, that's how life is. But actually, if you can see, like, this is a chance for God's victory to come. This is a chance for God to bring something powerful in, in this endeavor. Um, yeah, a lot of it, we, could, we look at our lives and the battles we've been through, like, oh yeah, that's what happened. That's what God did. All right. Um, one more verse. I love this. Verse 7. Kind of a change of pace. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. drink from the brook by the wayside, therefore he'll lift up his head. So again, I think this, this is speaking of Jesus, but it also speaks of his army. It speaks of the church. The, as we engage in this battle, this process, it is, we get tired. You know, I, was, I was really tired yesterday. I was, I was wiped out. I took a nap in the afternoon. and It, it was good. I, I needed that. The, there's this, this motif throughout Scripture we see in, in Gideon, we see in David, who wrote this psalm on his way to Goliath. He stopped by the brook. We see Elijah spent a season by the brook. There's, there's a, and that is really a picture of the, of the refreshing and the renewal that a, a man or a woman has to get from personal interaction with the Lord. There, it's speaking of in the tumult of life and the war and the battle and all of that and the weariness. There is a brook available for us to turn aside to and to get in God's presence 
to open his word, to pray, to pour out our hearts to him, and to find renewal. And even Jesus needed that. You know, we touched on this last week, but Jesus regularly in his, in his life, in his ministry, he got away from the demands of life and the busyness of ministry and other people and just went out in the wilderness and spent time with God, got up early, spent time with God. And in that place, he got what he needed, and his head was lifted up, and he went out. Um, so our last takeaway is, man, refresh yourself in his presence. How do we, how do we be that scepter? How do we carry out God's, God's life into the world? Well, there's a brook available. There's a place of God's presence available to us who turn to him. And you say, God, I need you. Sometimes I, I found that people, it's interesting, and you talk, someone becomes a believer, and they start growing as a disciple, and you tell them, hey, you really should be reading the Bible and praying. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times that's just like, yes, the passion, it's a natural thing, there's just this desire birthed. But then sometimes it's not so natural. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that sounds good, but, you know, I don't know. And I found that, like, once people, they start seeking to bring the gospel to those around them, they start seeking to serve God, then they're realizing, oh, I need something more. I don't have, I, this, I don't have it. I'm tired. I don't have it. And then that's where you realize, oh, I need God's presence. I need God's word. I need something more. As we, if we're not, like, trying to be part of that army, then we may not realize our need for this brook as much. But when we're saying yes to the army, then our need for the brook is very evident. Um, but thank God, man, there is a source of life that's refreshing. And um, it's, it's there. It's there for us. And as we, as we just turn aside from, from things and turn to the Lord and say, God, I need you, then we can find that same life that allows us to be those people in the world that bring that, that life and that quickening influence to the world around us. We'll drink from the brook by the wayside, and we'll lift up our head. So, Psalm 110. There's a lot there. But I think it's very important that we, that we have this realization that Jesus is reigning. But he's been instructed by the Father to sit until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And, I mean, that's like, that's, I don't know how that all plays out, but I, I know there's a lot more to be done. I know there's a lot more enemies in the world that are not yet submitted, and he's called us to be part of that process. And so, I'm going to pray for us, um, and just pray that God would help us to come into, into this. And um, as I pray, worship team, you can go ahead and, and come on up. We're going we're gonna to go from, we're, we're going to also just worship together one more song. And really just be trusting God to be encouraging us and speaking to us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this glimpse of what's going on. Lord, just this morning we worship you, King Jesus as the source of life, the one who paid the price of sin, the one who defeated the enemy, the one who rose again, the one whose life is available for the world, to those who believe. 
God, I just ask this morning that there, even this morning, that we would drink from the brook by the wayside. God, I pray even right now as we worship, even as there's a yes in our hearts to say, yeah, Lord, sign me up. Lord, sign me up for my life. Sign me up for this situation. Lord, would you just infuse each person here with the commensurate amount of your life, the commensurate amount of your power, of your vitality, of your resolve, of your wisdom, of what we need. Lord, would you even just wash away the unbelief that's in our minds, God? Will you wash away the, the way we've framed things based on our perceptions or the way things are or the power of the enemy? But Lord, may your kingship be what frames our thinking. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. May your reign extend. May extend to us. May extend through us. May extend in Manhattan. May this city be changed, Lord. God, may the kids and the families at Eisenhower be transformed. God, may the people in our workplace and our families be transformed. May our neighborhoods be transformed. May this be a city set on a hill. An example of what it looks like when your kingship is believed by a people. God, I just pray for those in the room that are from other cities, other places, God, that you bring your kingdom all over the world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.